Hey, Table Church, and as I'm welcoming you, as Juan did earlier, to the Table Church, let me uh, remind you that we just have a couple more weeks of being in the Psalms together. It's been an exciting, uh, yet very honest view of who God is and who we are and dealing with our emotions and all sorts of things. So if you're just now tuning in, we invite you to go back and either watch or listen to these sermons on the Psalms located on our YouTube channel, or you can listen to those through um, any number of podcast platforms. You'll find those there or even on our website, thetablesf.com. I'm excited to remind all of you that uh, when the Psalms series comes to an end here in uh, just a couple weeks, we'll have what's called Testimony Sunday. And what that means and what we've traditionally done as a church is we uh, listen to usually two, three, sometimes four different people who share a testimony. Uh, There's no sermon on that Sunday, and so it gives the preacher a break, but more importantly, it allows us to hear from all sorts of different voices from within our church, Uh, specifically people reflecting back on what we've just covered in the scriptures and how it's really changing their life and encouraging them. So uh, yeah, you'll be hearing from three people sharing their testimony and uh, we're really, really excited about what God is gonna uh, teach us and encourage us through people right here in in our church. Uh, Today, we are coming to um, a psalm Uh, Today we're looking at Psalm 117, and I want to ask a a major question as we look at this psalm. Who do you envision being in heaven? Okay, so let me start us with a question that I got here a couple weeks ago, and uh, you know how sometimes you get a question and someone will frame the question saying, hey, I want to ask you a question on behalf of a friend. You know, my friend is asking this question, not me, of course, but... You ever gotten that before? Well, I got that a couple weeks ago, and someone uh, said, hey, can I ask you a question, you know, on behalf of my friend? And, of course, I said, sure, you can ask me your question. (laughs) They said, you know, hey, if my friend were to ask uh, what scripture verse should they memorize, what verse would you tell them? And uh, just to have a little fun with it, I said, you know what, instead of memorizing a verse from the scriptures, why don't you memorize, why don't you get really wild and crazy and memorize a chapter? Yeah, why don't you memorize a full chapter? And this person said, oh, like a full chapter? And I said, yeah, uh, why don't you memorize, let's just suggest Psalm 117. And then I said, oh, and by the way, this chapter of Psalm, Psalm 117, has only two verses. <laughs> and this person said, Oh, yeah, that, that sounds great. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll memorize it. Of course, they just said, I'll memorize it. And I almost said, well, I thought it was on behalf of your friend. Nonetheless, uh, I'm encouraging you, your friend, all of us to memorize Psalm 117. Yeah, all two verses of it. And so we're going to even practice memorizing it together this morning. Uh, we'll read it several times together, and so I'm sure it will, will stick Um, But we're asking that big question as we get into Psalm 117. Who do you envision being in heaven? 
And as we try to answer that question from Psalm 117, there are basically three big points that I'm hoping uh, comes out of this psalm. Number one is God's presence. Number two is God's people. And then number three, let's live like it right now. Well, so let's get into it. Let's go ahead and read Psalm 117, the shortest chapter in all of Scripture. Yeah, just two verses. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Okay, wow, there it is. So just like a really small-sized peach that I cut into this week, it burst forth with all sorts of juices, packed so densely in that peach, and it just dripped all over my fingers. At one of those, one of those moments where you sort of look around you and you just end up licking your fingers because it's so, uh, so good. Hands washed, of course. But that's what this psalm is like. It is densely packed full of delicious goodness. And so uh, we're going to look at these uh, three main points here. The first one is God's presence. God's presence. Well, again, let me read Psalm 117 for us as we think about God's presence. And as you think about that bigger question that we're looking at, together today. Who do you envision being in heaven? Psalm 117 says, praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Well, who do you envision being in heaven other than God Himself. In fact, if you're looking or envisioning some heaven that does not include the Lord, you have just fashioned a heaven of your own imagination. You have just made up a heaven of your own mind. And so the heaven that is indeed reality is a God who will be there. It is God's presence who's there. And so we must ask the question, well then, what does this God look like when I finally see this God? Well, I'll have to say that growing up in church, growing up in Sunday school, there was this famous, and I say famous because uh, I, I have a guess that this painting that I saw as a kid, and you're probably already remembering it if you were in Sunday school, perhaps anywhere in the world, and definitely in, in, in the United States of America, there was this painting of a white Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, this this white Jesus. And and by the way, for for the record, and and I hope this does not um, educate any of you, I I hope you've already know this, but but that Jesus, the real historical Jesus, was was not white. Uh, Jesus was a very dark-skinned Middle Eastern Jew. This is of no... um, this is of no controversy from, from an academic standpoint, from a biblical standpoint. But yet there was that Jesus painting in my Sunday school room that Jesus was white and Jesus had blue eyes and Jesus had this wavy curly hair just cascading over his shoulders. 
Uh, in fact, the New York Times once labeled Warner Salman's um, painting, which is called The Head of Christ. He, uh, he Warner Salman, was, was the best-known artist of the 20th century, according to the New York Times. Although few recognized his name, but oh, they recognized that Jesus. Uh, yet as a kid and as a teenager and then as a young adult b- beginning to read the Bible, I, I began more and more to, to see that the, that the Jesus of the scriptures did not, did not show up as this white dude as this painting depicted Jesus as. In fact, depicting Jesus as only white has theological implications. In fact, it denigrates the image of God in black people or in other people of color. And as you and I know that God has beautifully, beautifully created us people of color with dignity, with beauty, uh, with with the image of God himself on us. Another artist uh, that is showing Jesus in a different way is Kim Ki-chang. It's a Korean artist, and uh, he's been viewed by some as the Korean Caravaggio. You remember in a sermon past, I uh, showed you a painting of the most famous Caravaggio, uh, the Italian painter, and he depicts Jesus as more of a European Jesus, somewhat white-looking, but European-looking Jesus as he's interacting with Doubting Thomas. And it made sense for Caravaggio to do that, as it makes sense for Kim Ki-chang, the Korean artist, whose watercolor paintings portray Christianity's key moments as taking place in Korea and personified by Koreans. In fact, in the Last Supper, for example, Christ and his apostles are seated in a decidedly Asian architectural setting, and the figures are dressed in traditional Korean robes and headwear. I love it. Kim created these watercolor paintings during the Korean War as a way to cope, as a way to cope with the personal anguish of the Korean people's suffering. See, who do you envision being in heaven? Well, it's, it's God himself. And as you and I envision a Jesus, let it not be a whitewashed Jesus. Let it be the God of the scriptures who embodied our humanity, who came into this earth looking like you, looking like me, so that we might understand who this God is. And so if you enter a church in Africa, you're likely going to see an African Jesus on display, and rightly so. But more than than seeing Jesus' skin color, let's see Jesus as loving and faithful. That's the God that's in heaven that you and I should be envisioning that's, that's there. This Psalm 117 that says, Praise the Lord, all you nations, and extol him, all you peoples. Do you use that word, extol? That's not a word that's in my uh, regular use. It's not in my vernacular, really. Uh, And that's because the word um, extol, it's sort of old, but it really just means to enthusiastically praise. It means to cheer. It means to applaud. It it means when, when you pray and sing of this psalm and of this good news, 
You, you must go out and sing about it. That's right. That's what it means to extol. You're not doing this in a kind of laid back sort of way. That's what it means to extol the Lord, all you peoples. See, God never draws us in except to then send us out. That's right, into this missionary calling that we all have as Christ followers and as God worshipers. Of course, he calls us in to worship God, but then he then sends us out into mission. John Piper, a Christian pastor and author, in his classic book on missions called Let the Nations Be Glad, he says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is the ultimate goal of the church. But see, missions exist because worship does not exist. See, our ultimate purpose, the big plan, the big goal for you and I is to worship the Lord, to praise the Lord. Psalm 117 is saying this for us. Praise the Lord, all you nations. That's our main goal. That's our main purpose. More from his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. He says, the reason God seeks our praise is not because he won't be complete until he gets it. God is rather seeking our praise because we won't be happy until we give praise to God. Missions is calling the world to do what they were created to do, namely to enjoy making much of Christ forever. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. I'm thinking of an African-American pastor, writer, theologian, Charles Octavius Booth, the 19th century, in his book called Plain Theology for Plain People, says they, that is we Christians, they are to give of their means as God has prospered them for the support of those that go out to the nations to carry to them the news of salvation in Christ. That's mine and your role. We are to give radically, generously of our financial resources, both in this church, the table church. Yes, we should be giving generously and we should also be going generously to spread that news and to spread that gospel do you envision being in heaven? Well, our second major point is God's people. God's people. Well, let's pause another moment right here and try to memorize Psalm 117. And yeah, it's okay if you recite it out loud with me together. This is one way that we're going to practice memorizing it together. Psalm 117, praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise the Lord, all you nations, extol him, all you peoples. And I'm having to look down right now, and maybe you are too. For great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Who do you envision being in heaven? Well, we just discussed God being there and who this Jesus looks like. Well, now we're going to move it towards the nations, and all peoples. See, God does not love America more than other nations. We just have to say that real directly. 
You can love America. Yes, you, you can love America, and many of you do, but don't think for a second that God loves America more than other nations. Who do you envision being in heaven? Is it just fellow Americans? Is it just people that looks just like you? Is it people just of your ethnicity, just of your skin color? I want you to remember with me another scripture memory verse that maybe you've put to memory, and if you haven't, I invite you to do so. And it begins like this, For God so loved the world. Yeah, let me, let me start it again. And if you know this verse already, I want you to say it out loud with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John three sixteen. right? Who do you envision being in heaven? It's a God who loves all nations. It's a God who loves all peoples. For God so loved the world. God does not love America, the good old U.S. of A, more than other nations, more than other countries. God so loved the world. Eugene Peterson's commentary on the Psalms, he invites us to look at the end. He invites us to look at the end of the scriptures to really begin to understand the beginning of scripture and in particular understand the middle of scripture where the Psalms are found. And Eugene Peterson in this commentary says the end is where we start from. The end has far greater shaping over our lives than the beginning. That which we are made for is more significant in our development than the biology of our making. Aristotle's philosophical analysis of causes. It's not the first cause, the kick that gets us going, but the final cause, that lure that pulls us to the finish that is uniquely and ultimately decisive. It's a wonderful quote. Peterson is saying that the end is where we start Yeah, the end is where we start from. Who do you envision being in heaven? You gotta think about the end first. And the end is in Revelation, the last book in the Bible. It gives us a picture, an image of the end of the story, where we're in heaven. Those who have trusted in Christ as Lord and who are there worshiping this God. It gives us this beautiful picture, it says in Revelation chapter Seven. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb of God, that is, Jesus. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God. See, Revelation chapter 7, while that's the end, Psalm 117 is prophetically already envisioning that. That was the promise from the very beginning of this gospel global expansion, this good news, was supposed to go to all nations, all peoples. See, the gospel challenges this narrowness of 
hey, all good people go to heaven. You've heard that. You've perhaps even thought that before or been in a discussion with a friend of yours where that quote comes up. Hey, uh, all good people go to heaven and see the gospel, the gospel that's here in the Bible, the good news that's being presented to us here in the Bible is that this salvation is open to all. Yeah, it's open to all, even those who haven't been good, moral, pulled together type people. That the gospel is for those who know that they haven't been good enough and that they can't save themselves. The gospel is for a people who know that only God's love can save them and that God's love was revealed in the saving work of Jesus in history for us, to all nations, to all peoples, not just for good people, Sadly, the sins of racism and the sins of bigotry, the sins of ethnic pride have manifested itself now at an all-time high. In many ways, um, we have a racially charged culture that we're living in and the gospel offers us a different way. There's a different way. Who do you envision being in heaven? See the end picture first. That all nations will be there. All languages will be there. People who don't look like you or speak your language or have the same skin color as you or ethnicity as you. The gospel offers us a different way. That when the Lord Jesus stretched out his hands to be crucified on that cross, cross to be a Sacrificial atonement for all peoples who would believe in him. It wasn't for one particular nation in mind, but it was for the nations of the world. It was for all peoples and all people groups who would trust in this Christ. I'm remembering a Chinese Christian and pastor writing in the 20th century his name is Watchman Nee, and uh, he was persecuted and imprisoned for his faith and spent the last 20 years of his life in prison. And so quoting from his book, I love this quote, where he's, uh, and his book is entitled The Normal Christian Life, and the quote goes like this, Our old history ends with the cross. Our new history begins with the resurrection. Who do you envision being in heaven? Yes, God is there, but all nations, all tribes, all peoples, all languages will be there worshiping this God. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. Who do you envision being in heaven? Well, we'll get to this third main point, and that is, Let's live like it right now. Yeah, let's not just wait until heaven comes and then all of a sudden accept other ethnicities and, and live in equality together. But no, let's live right now in that way because we already have a beautiful, clear picture of what the end is already like. 
Let's live like it right now. Another opportunity for us to memorize Psalm 117 together. Feel feel the freedom right now, wherever you are, to just say this out loud. Let's do it together. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Well, let's just ask that question again. Who do you envision being in heaven? And we need to live like it right now. Well, let's just say this, that multi-ethnic worship isn't just for heaven, but we're to pursue it right now. Multi-ethnic worship is to be pursued right now. Now, it's an image of all nations that should come into your mind. And I'm really missing watching the Olympics this summer. And one of the things that I love about the Olympics, uh, as an athlete, I love the competition, but I also just love watching the parade of nations come in together with all of those beautiful flags and all of the diversity and just the unity that they all have there together. See, this psalm for you and for me and for all Christians around the globe, it's a call against feeling superior to any nation or to any superior group. And you might say, well, oh, I don't, I don't hate any nation. I don't view America as being more superior to any other nation or any other group. Well, let me ask you a question. Is there any other nation that you feel like you don't like. You might not say that you hate them, but is there any nation or any people group that you feel like you don't really like? When telling jokes, is there any particular group or nationality or ethnicity that you you give slurs to? Or they end up being the part of the joke. Let me quote present-day Miguel Nunez, and he's specializing in internal medicine and infectious diseases, and he's a pastor of the International Baptist Church in Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic. And he tells us this is a good time for Christians to demonstrate sanity, peace, and hope, recognizing that our lives do not depend on the entry of a microorganism into our bodies. He's referring to COVID. Instead, it depends on the God who determines the beginning and the end of our history on earth. Wow, what what wisdom. That wisdom is, of course, being learned from all sorts of people. And beautifully, through this brother in Christ in the DR, it's quite Remarkable that he's both a physician and a pastor. What this also means for us to live it right now is to seek out relationships with people of different nations and to worship with them. Right? It's a call to break down walls and go beyond your circle of friends, to go to the nations and to educate yourself about the nations. Yet, sadly, for many white people, especially in the United States, it's possible. It's possible to go one's entire life without ever having meaningful interactions with people of color. 
It saddens me. It saddens the God of the scriptures that that would be the case for many white Christians. It's time to break down those barriers, to build relationships, to have unity that Christ prayed for in John chapter 17. That we would have oneness as Christians among all ethnicities. Romans chapter 15, Paul is quoting Psalm 117. He's also quoting from Isaiah. Both of those scriptures that Paul is quoting from, they both envisioned a multi-ethnic church. That was God's plan from the very beginning. Who do you envision being in heaven? A multi-ethnic church. Romans 15, Paul says, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that you may accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed and moreover that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Wow, from the very beginning. You and I, uh, if you are non-Jew, the vision was for you and I as Gentiles being non-Jew to be brought into this promise that all nations would come into God's family. And of course, if you're Jew, that yes, that would be God's plan for you to be a Messianic Jew, to be a Christ-following and Christ-worshiping Jew. But yet, all together, we would be a multi-ethnic church. Oh, how beautiful. That we would be practicing that now. We would be living that now. What this also means is that we lovingly confront others who aren't speaking in this way or living in this way. See, we're all made in God's image. And so what this means is when you're having dinner with, let's say, your Uncle Bob and your Uncle Bob or, yeah, let's just say Uncle Bob, for example. And I'm sorry if your uncle is truly named Uncle Bob. I'm just using <laughs> arbitrarily an Uncle Bob. But let's say Uncle Bob uses a racial slur during dinner and disparages uh, another ethnicity, makes another ethnicity the, the butt end of a joke and just throws them totally under the bus. So to lovingly confront Uncle Bob is what you and I are called to do. To say something like, that joke just isn't funny. First of all, don't laugh at the joke. But then also call Uncle Bob aside or even maybe there in front of everyone, lovingly confront Uncle Bob and say, that's not how God views those people. That's not how God views any of us that we're to love and accept everyone regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their color, because that's how God views us and loves us. It's just not funny. And one of the last but most important things that we're to be doing that will help us live it right now is to remember the attributes of God. Right, who do you envision being in heaven? I want to uh, invite you right now to remember some very key attributes of God. 
that the psalmist does for us and helps us do. Remember the love of the Lord. He says, great is the love of the Lord. Great is the steadfast love. See, what that means is God's love is dependable. It's committed. God's love prevails over all of your shenanigans, all over, over all of your sins. God's love prevails over all of that. God's love is dependable. See, our love as a human being can never, ever be 100% dependable. Yeah, there are times when you and I get so self-consumed or we get so tired that we just bite someone's head off. Or we act out in anger. Or we act out in pride. Yet, when the psalmist is saying, Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is the love of the Lord. He's saying that only God's love is 100% dependable. There's no other thing in your life. There's no other relationship in your life that will love you 100% all of the time. It's impossible. Only this God of the scriptures can do that for you. Therefore, shout to him, praise to him extol him, cheer him. God's love will always be there, even when God is exercising judgment or discipline toward you, his child. His love is still there. He doesn't have to pause one attribute to exercise another attribute to you, but both and all of those attributes are flowing beautifully and perfectly together simultaneously. God is perfectly balanced. I love author Pink's quote about this in uh, his book, Attributes of God, in the chapter on the faithfulness of God. He says, God is faithful in what God withholds from us, no less than in what God gives us. God is faithful in sending sorrow as well as in giving joy. It's the same faithfulness. It's the same love that when God withholds something from you, don't see that as God isn't loving me. See that as God is deeply loving me right now in some mysterious way. Lamentations, book of the Bible, Lamentations chapter three says, I remember my affliction and my wondering and the bitterness and the gall. I remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Therefore, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The second attribute here that the psalmist is calling us to remember is remember the faithfulness of the Lord. See, unfaithfulness is all around us right now. It's all in us. And it's all around us. It's in business. It's in politics. It's in religion. It's in relationships. Yet the faithfulness of the Lord, I love what this word means. The faithfulness of the Lord means that there's no expiration date. 
illustration, looking so forward to get to be able to cut into one of those peaches that I referenced earlier in this sermon. Yeah, that small little peach that packed so much juice inside of it. Yet, one of the other peaches that I tried to cut into actually was molded. So yeah, to the very core, it just, it was rotted. It was unfaithful. It, it had a, an expiration date to it. And I can't, I can't describe right now the disappointment I had when I got to that peach. Oh, how I looked forward to the taste of it. And yet I was so disappointed because it had, a, had, a, it had an expiration date to it. See, God's faithfulness cannot expire. It will not expire. Paul, writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, says, If we are faithless, God remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Do you see God that way? Are you remembering God's faithfulness in that way? He cannot deny himself. It's impossible for God not to be faithful. See, God made a promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that he would be, he would be a messenger to all nations and that through him all nations would come and worship this king. For this great king is king of all the nations. And from Abraham, you see, came Israel and all of those descendants of Israel. And from Israel came Jesus. Wow, how beautiful. See, God kept his word. He is faithful. And there's nothing that you hold dear in your life right now that can ever, ever, ever say to you perfectly, I'll never leave you and I'll never disappoint you. Nothing in your life could ever say that to you except this God. This God, his faithfulness has no expiration. Only God can say, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you and I will never lie to you. Quoting another Old Testament scripture, Numbers chapter 23, verse 19 says, God is not human that he should lie to us. God is not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? See, the Lord loves us with an unfailing love. Therefore, therefore we should worship this God and King. Hallelujah. Let's try it one more time together as we try to memorize this psalm together. Ready? Say it out loud together. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love toward us and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. All right, let's pray together. Lord, we praise you that you care for all the races all nations and all peoples, and that you desire to include them in all of your saving love. We confess that we are not as generous as you. We're not as loving as you. We're not as faithful as you. In fact, if we're really honest with ourselves, there are some kinds of people that we strongly dislike. 
There's some nations, perhaps, that we, that we disparage and that we strongly dislike. There's some people groups right now in our mind and in our hearts that we dislike. And so, Lord, the King of all the nations, the God who loves all of these peoples, help us see all nations and all peoples as both sinful, yet the recipients of your love and your grace through the person and work of Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.